irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I would love to hear from you as my listener. You're welcome to reach out to me through the LA Talk Radio show page I have online. There is a link from there to my website, which is NOLA Therapy the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy.com. And I am available to meet with you for intuitive psychotherapy sessions, be it remotely through Skype, FaceTime, or phone. Additionally, I have office locations in Los Angeles and New Orleans. And I had taken some time off from doing a lot of, of client sessions to finish my book, which I am concluding and will be coming out in 2019. It's a book on self-forgiveness and healing through self-forgiveness and empathy. So I welcome you to reach out and schedule with me for sessions. If you're interested in being a guest, I'd, I'd love to hear about your story. And I'd love for you to subscribe to this show through all of the platforms that it is now on. This show is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and on YouTube, my channel is called NOLA Therapy, and please support my work. It really helps a lot. If you would like to become a patron and support this work, you can find out more through the link that I have at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash all things therapy. So my guest today, I'm really happy to speak with. I love when I have another uh, practitioner on on the show with me. In just moments, we're going to be hearing from Tara Judson Stariel. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as certified in bioenergetic therapy, which I want to know more about from her. She's certified in EMDR level two and trained in somatic experiencing. And she works with clients to treat trauma, depression, anxiety, and dissociative disorders. She speaks and presents at national conferences, and she founded the Center for Self-Discovery in San Diego County back in 2002. Today, we're going to talk to her about all of these things and her book that just came out November of 2017 titled Sanity, Lost and Found. A True Story of Brainwashing and Recovery. Welcome, Tara. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. You're welcome. It's an honor and pleasure to speak with you. Where would you like to start our listeners off today? (laughs) Oh, well, um, how about um, just letting them know that I'm grateful to be here and and maybe a little bit about why I wrote the book. Yeah. It's not often that a therapist will will reveal so much about him or herself, and the purpose in writing it was to help inform people about the impact that our thoughts and emotions can have on our bodies and on each other, and in hopes that people realize that there's hope if you've had trauma, 
and how uh, our childhood experiences are so formative, so important. And parents really have a wonderful opportunity or um, can tragically impact a child for the rest of their lives in their adult trying to become an adult and struggling with whatever issues happen. So it was my hope that people can uh, better understand ourselves and one another and and then eventually have compassion for those who are mentally ill or mentally not well and to forgive the things that have happened to them that were negative and damaging. Well, and, and I think your risk to be transparent in sharing your personal story of growing up in a family where there was neglect and abuse and then going on to to be in a cult with uh, a man that brainwashed you and others that were a part of that cult and then to come out of that and become a healing practitioner i i believe that all of it's really important and i think it's being reflected in the times professionally that traditionally therapists were taught to be a, a so-called blank slate and right. we just try to get clients to project upon us um, everything about them. And I think it's helpful now is the issues that people grapple with have changed in modern culture and society that that we do have a bit more humanness and transparency. So it was courageous what you've done. And I'm wondering what kind of responses you've been getting since you've released your book. Well, thank you. Um, I haven't had um, a, a whole lot of feedback other than when uh, people have read it, it's you know it's not a a well known author, but I have been very touched by the reactions that people have given me, their responses, and um, that is endearing. I mean, that is that you know um, having heard from one person how it changed their lives, that was a good enough reason to have written the book, and mm-hmm. so I'm. Um, I'm very humbled by the experiences that I've had and very touched and encouraged that, like Brene Brown talks about, our vulnerability is is truly the birthplace of creativity and innovation. Mm. And I think being in our hearts is so worthwhile. And um, it's, it's so important when we're vulnerable to learn how to prevent the exploitation of our vulnerability. There's, you know, that razor's edge. And um, so I, I felt like I was in a good enough place to write about my own vulnerabilities. It took quite a while to forgive myself for having subjected myself to so much abuse. And and in that process, I, I write about how disconnected I was from my family and and how that was that was healed. I'm just so grateful that forgiveness has been such a part of our lives and love and forgiveness, and I feel that people need to know that that's possible because there are so many people who are estranged from their families for whatever the reason. Right. I don't believe my parents were intending to hurt me. They had their own psychological wounds. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, the time of my birth, my mother had suffered severe loss. So, you know, people are depressed or anxious or emotionally distraught from sometimes the circumstances in their lives and, and if we lack sufficient support then we suffer inordinately and that was how this guy took advantage of all of us we lacked sufficient support certainly I did I had um, that paranormal experience given to me I had no idea how to translate it that was pretty pretty unusual I mean people looked at you like 
askance, kind of like, uh, what planet did you come from? And so that was part of my alienation process. And he took advantage of that. So, oh, I can help you. I can help you. And that's usually how we get taken advantage of is we need, we're looking for support. We're looking for that unmet need. And someone comes in and says all the right things. And we forget about listening to our internal self that says, maybe not. And we believe them instead. Yeah. And yes, I know over you're our, yeah. over our own inner knowing. I know right, you, you exactly. speak about in your book that your mom had depression and was absent and your dad left vet school, veterinary school to take care of his father who was yeah. ill and later became very rejecting and cold was my sense. And, and alcohol abuse yeah. really began to take over his life, with, which left yeah. you to fend for yourself. And you ended up in the Peace Corps in Colombia right. in South America. Do you want to take right. us on a little journey of, of kind of where you were and, and where you are now? Well, it was life-changing. I am so very grateful to the Colombians. I mean, they cracked my heart open. And the man that I followed uh, and I did not last in that relationship. But um, he really did me an incredible service to take me out of my culture, to expose me to so many different experiences. I had no idea that so many people suffered just to get the basics, basic needs met. And it really started me to question the reality that I had been ingesting for all those years. And I truly found such delight and such self-worth in serving these people in Peace Corps. I was working with I don't want to go into that in the book if you're interested. <laughs> they yeah. were very displaced, very marginalized people. Um, actually, I will. They were, they were Africans brought over as slaves to build the walls in these cities. And it was so disheartening to see that they were still being mistreated and not respected as, as the human beings that they are. And so they were incredibly impoverished. We worked with malnourished children. It just was unbelievable that children were dying and um, they, they didn't have sufficient resources. So it really opened my heart up and I was very, very satisfied with, I had found something that had meaning and worth to me. And I had this strange paranormal experience that said that I couldn't refute because it kept being followed up with a series that I narrate in the book. But essentially the message that I was given when I received it, I thought I was losing my mind, was that humans um, will, that if humans do not stop living the way that they are on the planet, life as we know it will not continue. And I was like, what? And more information came to me. This was like wordless communication. It came through mm -hmm. pillars of light. Pillars of light, yes. Pillars of light, right. And I was instructed at the end that you need to go home and share this message. And I struggled with that for several months and I kept getting these other strange experiences, and finally I realized that this is something I could not ignore. Well, I went back, and of course that message fell on deaf ears. It was not well received. And I studied, I did this amazing quest of reading all these religious texts from different, across all, many different religions and paradigms and studied and Sufi danced and did this and Zen and walking meditations and mm -hmm. Buddhism and la, 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 and nothing really set in with me in terms of how can I translate that message and then I did asked and I became an asshole and got really locked into that and my life became more and more dysfunctional and I was unraveling because here I had been given this message and no one 
I didn't know how to translate it. And I got off on a sidetrack with someone else who had this other message from this other book. And, and I got very disorganized mm-hmm. and was very distraught. And this man came in with uh, this uh, promise that he could help me find God and help me spread this word, this message that I'd been given. And I wanted, and the whole idea was to help the world be a better place. And there were five right. people five other women that had that same inkling. And this was the time when the Moonies and the Rajanis and, you know, just so many different people were living in communes and wanting to make the world a better place and coming together with that in mind, wanting to serve. And so we banded together and and he entered us into his non-interactive program. He called it The Program. And uh, before I realized that I was being indoctrinated, being brainwashed, and then um, isolated from everything that I knew, even my thoughts, that's anything before I had met him was considered the past, and that was foreboding. So the isolation became complete, and our trances were complete, and all of us left and returned many times. Mine was over 12 years, and I finally was able to emancipate myself. Right. You met Solar at 29, I believe, yes. in yes. 1979. Yes, and, yes, and, and for listeners, you know, just wondering the, the dynamic around when you're searching for something of, of meaning, of value, and then it's, I think, easy to become attracted to the idea, in your case, yes. of a spiritual enlightenment program that, that he <laughs> offered to take care of your you know, physical needs, and, and it Every seems need, so right. awesome, like a utopia at first. Yes. That's why people, I think, go on retreats and go to retreat centers, mm-hmm. is to have that type of experience outside yeah. of mainstream life. But the, the downside was that he was abusive and tyrannical, and that thoughts you had of the past, you would he would ask, like, did you think of your past? And then you all would be punished physically even. And, and yeah. so it was like the fear, the induction of fear, I think, that plays on old fear from growing up oh, yeah. as a trauma Definitely. survivor as well. It kind of recapitulates all that in adulthood. Yes. yes. I mean, the wonderful thing about retreats is you go home and you get grounded and you get supported and you have familiars around you and you can integrate that experience in the here and now and it's not fear-based, but when something is fear-based, you, you have the potential of being controlled. It's like, that, you know, people who are prisoners, they, they, are, they become automatons because you have no autonomy. And, and so all of our choices were taken away from us, you know, from what we ate, how we, how we moved our physical body, how often we could have access to the bathroom, how, what we could look at, what we couldn't look at, what information we could take in. It was all very limited, very controlled. And so we had no choices, thus we had no autonomy. And there were so many rules and sanctions against us that fear was just what we ingested every day. And and that creates this very altered state of existence. You're, you're living in a trance, just very fight-flight-oriented, scared little bunny, just hopping from here to there, or on the hamster wheel, if you will. And people usually, when they're trapped, it's called learned helplessness, Mm-hmm. We just retreat further and further from reality, and that's what I did. And you speak some about y- your brother trying to intervene and such. Yeah. How, what and so it was a twelve-year 
period, I believe, that you were involved in this cult, and you yeah. did leave on several occasions and then re-enter. How was it when you you met up with family, or what were those experiences like during those 12 years? It was remarkable. We stayed at my grandmother's a couple of times, and then later um, we were able to stay with my mother. And each time I started to emerge a little bit more from the trance, and especially at my grandmother's, because that was where the ranch was located where I grew up. And so it's like my natural self was was kind of thawing from underneath the mantle of the dissociation. And so I would become more of who I was, but every time we left, he would recognize that and hurt me somehow or pair some kind of an association of negativity with them. So, um, so again, the programming of you can't leave, I'll go kill them, I'll go do this, you know, all that was imposed. And of course, I believed him. He was capable of doing some great harm to us. And, and why wouldn't I believe that he would do that to my loved one? So, um, so the, in, the lesson from that is that if you find someone getting involved in something that you feel is destructive, your relationship with them offers them a lifeline, uh, you know, into reality, into, hey, you know, have you thought about this? Let's, we're concerned about you because our, our being isolated from our relationships is what allowed him to just take over. That's, that's what people do in abusive relationships. The person, whether it's a man or a woman, becomes isolated and right. the perpetrator is their only person and, and they lose touch with, this isn't so good, this doesn't feel good because they become dependent. And again, we, we're creatures of survival and so it's like the Stockholm Syndrome. We bond with our perpetrators. Right. We, we are not needing to be chained. We are not needing to be locked in. Our fear keeps us encapsulated and held in bondage is more powerful than any physical restraints because we're locked into that place in our minds where we don't move. We just stay frozen in that fear. So did others that you were with, did they also manage to leave and escape this cult or not? Yes. No, everyone's out. Well, actually, yeah, everyone's out. Everyone that I knew is out. That's great. Absolutely. It took us time. I mean, um, many, uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, I guess I'm a masochist. I stayed the longest, but people came and went with varying degrees of stain and and others, families, of course, tried to intervene. But yeah, no, everybody's out, which is really thankful, really. Definitely. So how did you manage to go from dependency? Because I know you divested yourself of your possessions and, and money. Mm-hmm. How did you yeah. finally come out and start living on your own and, and supporting yourself again? Well, um, I needed this sign that was pretty impossible, but I had left and gotten pulled back into the trance so many times and even felt internally that I wasn't done. I had to go back and I felt like I'd been given a death sentence, but I kept going back and I actually had someone intuitively say, you're not done. You have to do one more round, you know, one more trip around the East coast. And so he, he said that my quote mission was not with him, was not complete until he ran out of money. And of course he had tons of sponsors. It just, people just were, 
offering him so much money. So he had tons of money and enough to live a very expensive lifestyle on the go, you know, staying in hotels and stuff. So um, motels. But anyway, when the money dried out and I had done that one last trip to the East Coast, I (laughs) was praying every day that this is the time I get to leave. I'm finally done. I'm finally done. Please, God, let it be this. And so I had um, this way of divining with six pennies, and I was familiar with the I Ching from Peace Corps because I kept saying, am I really supposed to go? I can't do this. And I kept coming up with yes and quit asking, you know, was eventually what the message I was getting. So I had used that a long time ago when I was still in Peace Corps fighting against this experience. Okay. Okay, with six heads tell me that I'm done, and six tails, I'm still not done. So I threw these pennies, and they all landed six heads and it was like I knew I was done wow yeah it was amazing well I uh, we were at my grandmother's at the time so I really had plotted this I had premeditated that this might be it and it was so I packed up his stuff and I said you know you're leaving I'm staying and I um, asked my grandmother if I leave him permanently can I stay with you and she said oh of course yeah. So, you know, here's my guardian angel in my life, just an amazing woman. Such, I just, oh, I just feel so blessed to have had her. And she helped, She was a remarkable human being. And so um, here I was, I owned my license, a comb, and the set of clothes that I had on my back. Meaning your driver's and, license, correct? Driver's when you license, say license, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to have an ID. So that was the only thing that wasn't destroyed, and she helped me, I mean, she housed me, took care of me, she was 91 years old, and she had yeah. another child to raise, and um, and I found him, and I heard this message, you know, get a job, get uh, an education, go back and study psychology, because I kept saying, why God, why, and uh, get a car, you know, for transportation, because it was mm-hmm. way out in the country, and so... It all came together. It was not an easy journey because I had a lot of rage inside of me. And that was, I thought, something else that needed to be explored, that that unconditional love heals us, compassion heals us, and there needs to be room for us to recognize that a, a hurt person will hurt people until they work that through. So her love, my therapist, I had you know amazing support from my family and friends, really helped me cobble together some positive resources inside that helped me eventually forgive myself as I powered through school and and created a life for myself. My grandmother was instrumental in that. And then my family of origin was incredibly helpful and supportive. So I'm very grateful to all of them. So your grandmother to me was a a touchstone of of unconditional love consistently and received you whenever you would approach her and really was instrumental in you starting to love yourself. Yes, yes, she was. And healing, yes. She was amazing. She never shut the door on me, which is what I needed because I was so filled with trauma that causes self-loathing. Yeah. I was just thinking yeah, of that negative. word, self-loathing and shame yeah. and yeah, guilt right. and not, not feeling like you're not good enough, which is shame is, yep. is that, that our identity is not good. Right. It's beyond it's just our behavior. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That's why people off themselves is, and why I try it is because when you, when you pause and reflect on who am I, all you feel is this negative gunk 
inside and that shame, but people don't realize it comes from abuse. It comes from trauma. It comes from insufficient support, which traumatizes us. And so it's an emotional experience. It's not who we are. Who we are is love, but people often don't get beyond the shame because it's so painful, so insidiously toxic. And there is hope and help to get to the other side of that shame. We are going to do a a quick commercial break and then come back and, and talk about that and how you help and work with other clients. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of All Things Therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash allthingstherapy now and enjoy. I am with Tara Judson Stariel, licensed marriage and family therapist, talking about uh, her book, Sanity, Lost and Found, A True Story of Brainwashing and Recovery. So, Tara, tell us about, I'm really interested to know more about, I know what a licensed marriage is family therapists, talk to us about bioenergetic therapy and the ways that you have worked with your clients for over the last 16 years. Um, well, the way I've worked with, with my clients has evolved, but bioenergetics was such an instrumental part of my healing because it's a mind-body discipline that um, actually the original founder split away from Freud because he said that the body was important and Freud poo-pooed that. And he... Um, then worked with the man, Alexander Lowen, who was a psychiatrist who discovered that, and, um, and Lowen came up with this um, set of exercises and, and formations of personality that indicate certain emotional wounds, and he was brilliant. He didn't have much of a personable personality because he had really to buck a lot of the status quo that really demeaned him, just like, you know, Freud kicked Wilhelm Reich out and said, you know, that's bunk. But what I learned from bioenergetics and how it helped me was to work through the rage instead of expressing it against myself or acting it out behind the wheel or, you know, with um, other ways that we have of destroying self or others. And it was a way to help me get it grounded and find my connection with my spiritual self again and and be able to hold the emotions and recognize that they're real, that they are transitional. They're, and Lauren used to call it emotions, energy, and motion. They need to be moved through us, like, you know, expressing things, getting them off your chest with the support of another. We're wounded in relationship and we're healed in relationship. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, excuse me. No, as I was agreeing, I know Dr. Judith Herman talks a lot about that in her book, Trauma and Recovery, about wounding taking place in the context of a relationship and therefore healing needs to as well. Uh, Absolutely. And even if it's, you know, four furry legs, I mean, and I used uh, my horses as part of that adjunctive therapy as well. You know, we need a relationship and with a mammal, I don't 
recommend reptiles, although some people like snakes and lizards, but they don't have the (laughs) capacity. They don't have, and I'm not judging them, but they don't, but uh, reptiles don't have the capacity for relationship quite as profoundly as mammals do. And of course, human interaction is really the ideal, but it all works. It all helps. And I mean, out in nature, you know, we can be reinvigorated, re-energized because there's that energy that that if we can take it in, it really fulfills us. So bioenergetics helped me get into that and to understand the context of my wounding, my early childhood wounds, how my uh, attachment style had formed, not from anybody's fault. No one was maliciously hurting me, but emotional neglect is incredibly pervasively damaging. And the circumstances in my life had colluded to just create a sense of aloneness, of being rejected, of not being good enough. And of course, I um, ended up acting that out. I mean, what I felt, I mean, I used a lot of drugs to medicate those feelings. Those feelings, yes. Yeah, the feeling, the emotions. And um, and then when I fell in love, but that didn't work, that didn't feel good. And And I had sexual orientation issues that I had ignored. And so I was really not able to be true to myself and Peace Corps was probably the first time I'd ever done that mm-hmm. and and then that was taken away I was like what and so um, and I struggled to find my ground again and I was in pretty risky territory talking about people needing to make changes and and well, how did you hear this well there's a couple of light beams told me this and I've had this and that and it's like okay and I wasn't on drugs. I had completely so right. up. <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't received and so rejected. And then my father, he, you know, I called him out for his drinking. I'll never love you. I'll never forgive you again. So I really And he didn't speak him. to you for years over that. 20, 20 years. Yeah. And, and he would say enough to, I'm never going to love you. I'm never going to forgive you enough. That was the extent. And you walk away. So that was really, really painful to say the least. And... Um, and that my grandmother couldn't heal. That was her son, but I mean, she helped. She said, "Well, I just don't understand him." And I was like, "Well, I don't either." But that all anyway. So um, that all got healed, which was just remarkable. So through my bioenergetic therapy, through studying the different modalities, understanding trauma, what it does, what it did to my parents, what you know, what happened to them, I and mean, it's the intergenerational process, and. Um, so I think the more we learn about having compassion for ourselves and understanding that we are sometimes controlled by these automatic reactions because we have these brains that react that way. I mean, the Stockholm refugees didn't intend to bond with the terrorists, and yet they did. And, um, like, you know, cite many, many incidences of that. But the, anyway, the bioenergetic somatic experiencing, the interpersonal neurobiology have all informed that and then my faith and then studying I study the Course in Miracles because I believe it helps us understand yes. greater under awareness of what's going on here. And I think a Course in Miracles as well as, as other spiritual traditions oh, yeah. really really teach us about our interconnectedness and that we're not yes. separate and the separation of the body is is an illusion in the physical world. Right. Yes. But since we are energy that, that we are really you know, at one with each other. And that's why I think 
that a prayer practice, meditation practice can really help a listener out there who might be struggling with your self-esteem, which feeling not enough or less than that there is help and support for you. I'm certain that someone out there is listening that's struggling with some of the issues that we are speaking about today. And it does help to talk and open yourself up to just sharing your isolation, your fear to really reach out. And so how can people reach you? I'd like to give your website and more about your center because you offer a lot. Um, Can you talk to us about the center for selfdiscovery.com? Yes. Well, um, it's, um, (laughs) it's a little sweet building that was really in badly need of repair, kind of like me. And uh, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I had this vision, and I had some friends pray over it, and we blessed it and did some ceremony, and I remodeled it to be therapy offices, and there's some really gifted clinicians and very blessed who are here with me, and it was kind of from a vision of, well, I was looking for an office that was soundproof, and gosh, I didn't find any. I looked all around, and I thought, and my sister-in-law, bless her heart, said, well, why don't you buy a building and fix it up the way you need it. And so she was very helpful and in that process. And so here I am, and I I had fun. I used to weld, and so I welded this fountain and did the gardens as I used to garden, but, you know, I don't do any of that anymore. But it was fun. It was, like, it was just this whole body experience of creating an integrated place of healing. At once I thought, well, maybe I'll have a healing center, and it just seems to work out that it's just better to have psychological services here and everybody else can go someplace else. But it was meant to be a calm, serene, peaceful place where people can experience the the wholeness of their being, the love that's within them, and move through, literally move through all the stuff that's encumbered them and contaminated their awareness of self. And, and like you said, if your listeners are are experiencing the depths of the throes of depression and the depths of anxiety or whatever is going on with the movement is so helpful and and just maybe getting up and moving across the room, picking up the phone and calling a friend, going out inside and connecting with someone is so helpful. So my center was designed so that the people could come and, and get help and reclaim who they are. That's what recovery is all about. That sounds great. And I know I remember reading your book earlier on in your life. You had spent time with the gentleman that built the Integraton in Joshua Tree. I went there recently, in fact, Uh and it was it was closed uh, for a private event. So I tried to do Uh a sound bath. But it sounds like the the center, just the grounds of the Integraton feels very meditative and peaceful. I just spent time sitting there and laying in one of the hammocks that they have. Even uh-huh. so, it sounds like you've managed to create a space, a really true healing space in Southern California, which is where you grew up. So, you decided to come back home. I had to come back home to do some original work with my family. I was really, uh, I was led back. I mean, of course, my grandmother was my only safe refuge. I mean, where am I going to go? And it was fortuitous, though, because I really had to work through the issues with my family. Uh, and I, and as I studied, started studying psychology, I realized, well, gosh, what kind of a, a clinician am I going to be if I'm all disjointed and 
have all these funky feelings about my family. I really need to work on that. And so I, that's why I call it the original work that we all have. Right. And, yeah. So, yes, here I am. <laughs> so what is next for you? Do you spend most of your time doing therapy? Are you, um, how about the writing since putting this book out? What does your life kind of look like day to day? Well, thank you for asking. It's very full. I don't have my horses anymore, but um, I love to travel. It seems I've been traveling quite a bit. And I just came back from a dance therapy workshop up in uh, Washington called Soul Motion. And so I'm actually enjoying myself probably for the first time in many, many years because this book has weighed heavily on me. <laughs> I tried to walk away from it many times and it kept getting pulled back. And, mm-hmm. and People would say, aren't you writing a book? And I didn't even know who they were. I was like, uh, how did you know? Right. <laughs> and it's like, all right. And so and the biggest hesitation was that, you know, I had to really be honest and let people know, hey, I've been bloody dysfunctional. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. the way to get through that. And so it's really a benefit, though, because I don't judge people. At least I try not. I mean, our egos naturally go towards judgment and criticism and stuff, but it's a good practice to remember where I've come from and what I've done because it's very humbling. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm, no, I don't have a right to judge anybody. So I'm ha- I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm learning how to be on a radio show with you and yeah. to to share this because I really thought long and hard, do I really want to do this? I kept feeling, yes, I really do. I really need to. So I, I try to serve the light and to be true to what I feel is being asked of me. And, and again, I playing a little bit too. So <laughs> how, how long did it take you to write your book? Uh, well, I started how many years? This, uh, let's see, I started in 1992 when I first went into therapy. So uh, until it got, I mean, I wrote, rewrote it several times and right. um, had several editors, um, one who fired me, and I was like, oh, ow. But it mm-hmm. was too provocative. It's a, you know, it's a, not an easy read, but it's, I think it's important that we realize we've all had trauma. Mm-hmm. So since 1992, I've been writing it, living it, growing, healing so that I could put the final touches on it. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, <laughs> And yes. we all have a way to get there because that's, I think, what we're meant to do is to heal. Well, I think this message is so important right now in light of, of the suicides of Kate Spade yeah. and, yeah. and uh, Bourdain last yeah. week and just the consciousness raising of, of how depression and anxiety affect everyone. It does not discriminate in regards to finances or social status or professions. And just that the conversation, thank goodness is finally being had in more and more places publicly and openly. And so I think that, that places like you have the center for self-discovery the work that i do as a therapist is really important for listeners and people to know about so that you can reach out because it's you know when you're struggling with severe anxiety and depression you do need i believe to reach out to have some help and true support so when the darkness sets in often a person doesn't know they're in that darkness until someone metaphorically flips the light on for them so i think 
anyone listening to get yourself to assistance, to a professional, to reach out, because that is the way for you to find your healing and to to actually be happy in your life. I do believe that we can all be happy. It just takes finding the right steps for you and the right kind of program for you to tap in to what brings you joy, because we're all different in that way. Right. We all have, I think it's so well said, we all have a practice that will take, yes, and tell you have a lot of experience. But I think we all have a a practice that wants to be heard inside of us to take us to that supportive, loving, gracious place. And, and, you know, other people will do different things. We're all, you know, basketball players, you know, dancing, art, whatever it is, doing therapy. But it's about being in your right mind, I think, being from a loving, generous place, a benevolent place. I like to tell people be nonviolent is, you know, consider that as benevolent. And so the less violent we are, the, the more natural, the more the natural self we are sourcing. You know, yes. Darwin said we're all empathic at our core. I believe that. You know, I have experienced the the benevolence from people, the benefits of people's compassion. It's so touching. It's like, oh my. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it erodes that skewed self-image that we have about ourselves. It, it, it completely reorganizes our awareness and our beliefs about ourselves. When people are compassionate and loving to us, it's like, oh, you mean I'm not worthless? You really think that? of me that, that you think highly enough of me to do this for me and and so <laughs> you never know what beautiful gifts you're giving people when you're compassionate when you smile at someone yes an older person across the street you know, it, absolutely it, yeah it helps us all so what would you like to leave us with at the conclusion of our show to leave our our listeners with and what you've learned and what you are gifting the world through your work and your experiences? Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Well, mm-hmm. I, I would say probably practice forgiveness because we really don't have the right to judge one another. And when you attack another with your thoughts or your your words or your deed, you, deeds, you are... Um, kind of like ingesting poison, expecting the, it to affect the other, you know, and that's... And it affects of, you instead. It, it always comes back to us, exactly, and it totally affects us. You know, it, it, you know, we will die from ingesting poison, but it's like, you know, dosing yourself with poison, expecting the other to die. So forgiveness is not just saying, oh, I forgive you. It's working through the thoughts of staying with yourself and asking why is it that I feel justified in make, separating myself from this person? What keeps me from being compassionate? What keeps me from understanding them? The Native Americans used to say that don't judge someone until you've walked in their moccasins. I thought, oh, how perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has different experiences and how dare I think for a moment that I have a right to judge another. They're doing the best they can. I love that, what Maya Angelou said, you know, when we know better, we do better. And that's so true. And sometimes doing the best we can is out of our right mind and it looks pretty ugly, but yet if there's an ability for one of us to have compassion for that person as they're out of their right mind, that's a shift in their presentation. That's a shift in the way that they are. That offers them a shift, in other words. Yes. And I would add on that the... Go on, and then I'll say. 
No, no, I'm, I'm done. Thank you. I would, I would just say as well to you, to forgiveness is an important part of your work and in your practice and in your book and that the self-forgiveness piece being really at the core and often uh, forgiveness is, is in my experience, a progressive experience and actions experience of forgiveness over time. And there's so many layers to it. I think it's rare that in one sweeping moment, we're able to forgive someone who's hurt us or ourselves. So just to highlight that it's okay if you're struggling with forgiveness, that that's okay to struggle through it and forgive as much as you can right now. And then as you're able to have more empathy for yourself and others to then forgive at a deeper level. So I think that's a message of what you speak about as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, the the management of our emotions, not the controlling of them, but the management of our emotions comes from telling the truth. Dan Siegel, an internationally well-known neurobiologist, a psychiatrist, says, name it, tame it, and I add in, feel it, heal it. So, in other words, if we try to control our anger, it's going to explode out in another way. If we manage our anger, staying with it, recognizing, wow, I'm really angry right now, my fists are clenching, my my blood pressure, I can feel it rising. My neck is getting hot. Wow. I just really want to do something. I want to hurt someone or something. Well, is that really what I want to do? You know, just staying with the process, naming it, tames it. And then as you feel it, it goes away. Because remember, emotions are transient. But we're afraid of mm-hmm. emotions. And, and that's what keeps hatred and negativity locked in. Well, that person hurt me. You know, we, we hold on to the resentment, which grows into hatred. Well, if we could just work with our own anger, and with our own emotions, whatever it is, our own sadness or grief or, or shame, they move through us and we get back to our natural empathic resting place. Yes. Thank you so much, Tara, for being with us today. I really appreciate My you taking pleasure. your time out. It's been such a pleasure, Lisa, and thank you. Same so here. The work that you're doing, I appreciate that and respect you for that. You are so welcome. Have a really good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Bye. That concludes our show with Tara Judson Stariel. She is licensed licensed marriage and family therapist and author of the book, Sanity, Lost and Found, A True Story of Brainwashing and Recovery. I hope everyone has a really good week. I invite you to join me next week as I bring you another episode. And please support my work. Become a patron of this show by checking out the website at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.